So we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, we turned to the Old Testament and we talked about the tribe of Ishakar, who understood the times and knew what to do. And so here in verse 16, redeem the times because they're evil. The days are evil. Redeem the times, beginning at home. Father, we ask for the minister of the Spirit of God upon us, that we would each hear the word of the Lord, and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't have to convince you that the days are evil. And I shouldn't have to convince you that we're not the first generation that had to live in evil days. Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Ephesian church. Guess what he had to tell them? Redeem the times. Take advantage of your opportunities. Because the days are evil. Now, a lot, a, lot, a lot of times we take that verse and pull it out and, and don't really connect it with the rest of the chapter. But we're going to do that this morning. Because if you take that verse in context of what comes next, I believe it is valid to say that in the rest of that chapter, even going on into chapter 6, he tells us exactly what to do in going about to redeem the times. Uh, Christians are wringing their hands. Look at all this stuff that's coming. I don't know what to do. What should we do as Christians? Well, this is not the whole revelation of assignments and revelation that God gives us, but this is a powerful revelation from the Word of God as to how to redeem the times. Now, underlying these verses is this reality. If we're going to redeem the times and begin at home, we have to have the right foundation, the new birth. You must be born again. If you're a Christian, you have been crucified. You are now dead to living a life for self and the world and Satan and sin, and selfishness, and society. The ruling power has been broken. Don't take my word for it. The Spirit of God tells us that in Romans six fourteen, Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Galatians two twenty. I don't think we can quote it enough. I am crucified with Christ. That's not just Paul. Look in the mirror. This must be your testimony. It is the testimony of every Christian. We need to be reminded of it daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And also that means, Galatians 6.14, that I've become a dead man to the world, and the world has become dead to me. This new life in Christ, being born again, also means that we have the oil that eliminates friction. That's what oil does and 
many cases, is to eliminate friction. Well, God's love, Romans 5, 5, has flooded our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so being born again makes a radical difference. His love to you and his love through you is sacrificial, forgiving, full of mercy, full of grace. The days are evil. Redeem the times and begin at the home on this foundation of being born again. We're not talking about exceptional Christianity. We're not talking about Christianity for the few. Nor are we talking about that which is true of every person in the pew and the pulpit in the land today. We're talking about those who are born again of the Spirit of God. You have been flooded in your heart with the love of God by the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like? You might want to turn in your Bibles over to Galatians 5, 22 through 24, and it's very explicit what this looks like. We say, uh, well, well, I love ice cream. No, that's not what we're talking about. You might, but we're talking about something radically different. And when God flooded your heart with his love, that love has fruit. He flooded your heart with his love by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5 again. And so that's amplified for us in Galatians 5, 22 through 24. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, so long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. None of this is something that you pray to receive. This is the reality of who you are as a Christian. Now, there may be prayer involved as we seek to develop and grow in all of these areas, but this is your birthright. This is what it means to be a Christian. When you're born again, go to the earlier verses in verse 19 and following, and you have the works of the flesh. What a sorry list. What a horrible list of all manner of evil and wickedness, of things said and things done and, and evil things that uh, are in our headlines and, and some that aren't in the headlines are just uh, flooding our lives with all kinds of wrong attitudes and hatred and all of that, the works of the flesh. But you know what? When you were born again, that gets kicked out. Not that you no longer have a capacity for that, but you, that you're no longer under the dominion of that. If you are still under the dominion of that, then these verses in Galatians 19, the following, say, look, you may be a preacher, but you're not saved. This is not optional Christianity. This is not something for the future. For the few, this is the glorious fruit of the Holy Spirit of what God has taken out and now what he has replaced with his fruit. So the days are evil. Redeem the time. Begin in your personal life. Begin in your home on the foundation of the new birth which floods you with his Holy Spirit or by his Holy Spirit with his love. And we know if we're going to talk about uh, an enlightenment of his love then we have to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the first uh, seven verses. This is his love in you, and this is love, his love through you. 
And you say, well, well, none of this relates to me. Well, then you're a stranger to Christ. And, and, and if it's very weak in your life, the Holy Spirit is reminding us of this, that we need to get serious about grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. We, we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that as we go along. But his love in you and through you is very patient, very kind, looking for ways to build up instead of ways to accuse and condemn. His love in you and through you is not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. His love through you does not insist on its own way. When we talk about, when we say we, uh, the days are evil, redeem the time, begin at home. And as someone said a long time ago, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, please don't export it. If our Christianity is not working at home, then we come to church and teach and preach and whatever. Uh, who are we kidding? Not God. His love through us is not conceited, not arrogant, not rude, does not insist on its own, own way. His love in you and through you is not quick to take offense. It's not irritable, resentful, or touchy. It does not keep score on past wrongs. I say, are you kidding me? You expect me to live in the reality of these verses? You don't know the world I live in, the world I live around. Yes, the days are evil. Redeem the time. Begin at home, begin in your own heart, begin with this foundation. You have been crucified. Do you and I often remind ourselves of this? If the only time you or I hear this truth is when we come to church and it's occasionally the text, no wonder we're floundering. You've been crucified, you've been raised, you've been flooded with his love. To be a Christian is a revolutionary reality. Again, I... Without this, I may be a preacher, but I'm not a Christian. Isn't that being a little bit strong? Well, no, it kind of fits right in with 1 John 4, 7, and 8. You remember that, don't you? Remember how that goes? I bet you even remember the tune that goes with it. Now, John may not have put this tune with it, but we did. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. This is not optional. The real Christian, yes, can deeply grieve the indwelling Holy Spirit and we can fail miserably, but because we're his children, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we will be grieved. We'll be moved to repentance. We'll be chastened if necessary. If there's no chastening, if there's no repentance, we're giving testimony that we're illegitimate. Again, First John four nineteen and 20 is clear. We love him, God. Because he first loved us. 
If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, sister, child, husband, wife, etc., he's a liar. I, I grew up uh, being taught you don't, you don't just casually throw that word around. You don't just walk up to somebody and say, you're a liar. But when God says you're a liar, when God says I'm a liar, I'm going to listen. If a man say I love God and hate his brother and his sister and his husband and his wife or whoever, and he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother or sister or child or husband or wife, whoever, whom he hath seen, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen? I can't tell you the times that I've been talking to couples and they're on the verge of divorce and they're insisting on pursuing that way and and uh, start talking about love. Oh, I love him. I just don't want to live with him. A gross misunderstanding of love. God's love looks like this. His love, God's love, has flooded your heart and is flowing through you, manifesting his fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. His divine love in you and through you, to your wife, to your husband, to your family, is very patient and very kind. Looking for ways to build up rather than to accuse and condemn. His love through you is not conceited, is not arrogant, not rude. His love through you does not insist on its own way. His love through you is not quick to take offense, is not irritable or resentful, is not keep a score of the past. Didn't you say, go through that already? Yes. And so we got it. We never need that passage again, right? We need it on a regular basis, don't we? In 1 John 3, 7 through 10, let no one deceive you. Well, why would that be in there? Because there's a possibility of being deceived. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. If you ever wondered how to figure out who is and is not a Christian, first of all, and primarily ourselves, not somebody else. But applying this to ourselves, first and foremost, let no one deceive you. But there are many times when we do need to have discernment about others. I'm about to go into a business. For some reason, I'm just remembering there was a, uh, I heard the account of a, highly successful Christian businessman out in the Fort Worth area many years ago, and he, he bought and sold in uh, land, and not just like for a house, but like for a shopping center. And so he was well established and well thought of, and, and uh, he would have people to come and want to enter into business transactions with him. And this man developed a practice. He, they would go through all the facts and figures and then he would invite him home to a home-cooked meal by his wife. And they would just sit there and talk and mingle and carry on and ask questions. And 
get to know each other. And then after they'd said goodnight, the man would sit down with his wife and said, what did you learn about this man? He would never enter into a business transaction with someone who in his office with all of his charts and all of his testimonies, etc., etc., he would never enter into a business transaction unless he, first of all, had had that personal encounter and his wife was very studied in the Word of God and she was a good judge of character and she had an incredible ability to pick up on things he said about what his really heart, what his heart was really like. There is a time and a need for discernment in dealing with others, lest we get into a bad deal. But most of all, this relates to us, personally. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning... Well, this is a nice person, but he sins all the time. Well, what's God's take on that? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Ooh. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning as a lifestyle because he has been born of God. We're reading from 1 John 3, 7 through 10. I did fail to put down the translation. But you need to draw from something other than the King James, even though that's my favorite. But there's, there are tenses that you don't pick up. And they're clearly in the Greek. And this translation is doing that. In verse 10, by this it is evident, you who are the children of God, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Notice that the discernment here is between those who are the children of God versus those who are the children of the devil. It's not a three-point division. Here is a person who is lost, a child of Satan. Here is a carnal Christian. He lives just like the devil, but he's saved. And then here's a spiritual Christian. Now, there's just two options here. Yes, every Christian has some carnality in them, but it's not the lifestyle. And this verse is very plain about this. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The days are evil. Redeem the time. Begin at home. By first of all, making sure that you've got the right foundation, being born again. And thinking about this this week, uh, in, uh, in almost 55 years of pastoral ministry, it has been exceedingly rare for me to sit, well, sit down with a couple who's getting married or who's already married, and married, their marriage is in trouble, 
and then find that they understand that their relationship with God is the key to a good marriage. And I've started saying in recent years, uh, I'd be happy to meet with you, but I just want you to know my goal is not for you to have a good marriage. My goal is for you to know Jesus Christ and to love him. And if you do, you'll have a good marriage. Now, also this, and this is where our text passage comes in. Naturally flowing out of the building on this foundation of the new birth is the foundation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. This is a command. It's not some emotional experience to seek. It's not something to claim by faith. In about 1976, we had this auditorium filled with a bunch of people all day on Saturday. And by a nationwide organization of ministry, we were sitting under their teaching and they were teaching, the whole day was being, was being spent on teaching us how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of their teaching, what we were supposed to do is to stand up and claim it by faith. Now suppose you went down to one of the local uh, places that sells alcohol. I'm not recommending that. But suppose you did, and you walked down and you sauntered up to the bar. The bartender comes and says, what'll it be for you? So I want to get drunk. Okay, what's your order? Well, I'm not going to order anything, I'm going to get drunk by faith. I'm going to name it, I'm going to claim it. You said, that's crazy. Well, what we did on that Saturday was crazy. We were sincere, but we were crazy. This is not an experience to seek. This is a command to obey. Be ye therefore being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll quote it a little bit later, but first, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 amplifies it. So here's a command. And it's not the privilege of the few. It's God's provision and command for every Christian. And what I want us to see today in the verses that follow is that this command is followed up with revelation of the overflowing evidence of Holy Spirit fullness. And the evidence of Holy Spirit fullness also continuously feeds Fullness. I can't, I can't look at Ephesians 5.18 and uh, here's a command and I've, I've sat under teaching where people would go through this rigmarole about naming and claiming the fullness of the Holy Spirit and then all these commands for husbands and wives and children. Now, the reason you don't do that is because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit because you've not had the experience. And you, once you've had the experience, it'll just be like a piece of cake and, and it'll just be easy. 
That's not what it says. These are continuing additional thoughts to flow out of. Uh, these are con- conditional uh, or additional commands. Speaking to yourselves. Singing. Giving thanks. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. These are directives given by the Holy Spirit to any and every Christian. If you're born again, this is God's assignment. This is how you redeem the time. The days are evil. We need this if we're going to be effective in the times. So, a Christian is one whose heart is now Christ's home. Our bodies are his temple, purchased with his blood. We must be born again. And be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. How? By singing unto the Lord. This is more powerful than we understand. Now, don't take any hymn books out of the pews. But we have extra hymn books here in this building. If you don't have a hymn book at your home, you need one. Because you need some godly music. And there's a lot of stuff that you can go and purchase that sounds like the world and gives you the spirit of the world. And it doesn't really give you the good sound theology that is found in most of these hymns. And whether you say them or whether you sing them, say and speak hymns of praise unto the Lord. It's what Jehoshaphat did. Second Chronicles. Lord, we don't know what to do. We're surrounded by enemies. But our eyes are on you. And they put the choir out front. And the choir led them into battle. And God routed the enemy. In the New Testament, Paul and Silas are beaten. Thrown in jail. I don't know what they did before midnight. But at midnight, they begin to sing praises. And God intervened and opened the jail doors. The power of praise. And then giving thanks, verse 20. You know what the opposite of that is? Finding fault. When when I'm busy giving thanks unto God, I'm not going to be finding fault with what Christ has brought or what Christ has allowed. And we spend a lot of our time being unhappy and discontented and frankly uh, peeved at God because what's on our plate? Lord, you're supposed to be loved. Why would you allow this? Do you realize that when we complain and find fault and get upset at others in our world, that we in fact are accusing God for he either brought it or he allowed it. You say, look, the people I know, they deserve all my bad feelings. Maybe they do. But you're missing the lesson. You're missing the point. Suppose this young man And the Bible doesn't criticize him for anything he had done. 
But for whatever he had done, he had the special favor of his father, and he had a coat of many colors, and his brothers are jealous, and they throw him in a pit, and they're going to sell him, and he, and he gets down into wherever, and the Ishmaelites buy him, and uh, he's put in jail, and people lie about him, and Suppose he had spent all of his life being mad at God for what God brought or what God allowed. We never would have heard of him. And if he'd gone down that road and his brothers did show up wanting some grain, he would have paid them back. And that's what they thought he was going to do. And he said, no, 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 no. Am I in the place of God? God brought all of this. He allowed all of this. He brought all this to pass for the saving of many people. You know why you're upset? You know why I'm upset from time to time? I'm thinking wrongly. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you have to say to me? And what do you have to say through me? I'm thinking, Lord, why don't you deal with them? Them, whoever them is, may have many problems. Maybe as bad as bad as bad can be. But God's message for you and I is not to eat their lunch, not to tell the world how bad they are, but to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? How can I redeem the time? How can I be redemptive and manifest Christ in this situation? The trial that I'm having is not about them and their faults. It's what's God up to in my life. And, and just so you know that I'm not making all this stuff up, the, the psalmist even talked about Joseph. And he, God, sent a man before them, before Israel, even Joseph who was sold for a slave. This is in first Corinthians, first, uh, uh, Psalm 105, uh, beginning with verse 17. Whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. That's bad stuff. That's mean. Your own brother's doing that. Get angry. Get even. Tell the world how bad they are. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. God's testing us. God is equipping us. God is preparing us to worship him. God wants to manifest some great work through us. The days are evil. Redeem the time. Make sure you're born again. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise him. Thank him. In verse 21, submit to God. Submission unto God, one to another, in the fear of the Lord. That right there solves a whole world of problems, doesn't it? 
Born again, spirit-filled husbands and wives submit to one another in the fear of God. Born again, spirit-filled wives will be submissive to their own husbands, verse 22. Born again, spirit-filled husbands will love their wives as Christ loved the church, verse 25. Born again, spirit-filled children will obey and honor their parents, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Born again, spirit-filled fathers will not provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline training of the Lord, chapter 6, verse 4. Born again, spirit-filled servants or business owners in our world will be uh, not business owners, but, but the, the workers, like most of you are. You don't own the business. You work for somebody. And so you can be beat down by all the stuff you have to put up with. Or you can redeem the time. Born again, spirit-filled servants or employees will be obedient to their masters. Born again, spirit-filled masters or business owners will be considered and treat their employees as they would like to be treated themselves. Chapter 6, verse 10, born again, spirit-filled Christians will be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, will be warriors, glad in the whole armor, clad, clad in the whole armor of God. Verse 12, born again, spirit-filled Christians will not be fighting flesh and blood. Ooh, you could have left that one out. But he didn't, did he? He's read our mail. Christians who fight and quarrel with each other Pick, and, pick at and find fault with each other in their homes and in the church. Fighting flesh and blood is clearly out of the will of God and acting like a pagan. You know what the answer to that is? Stop it! Repent! Have you noticed how blunt God can be? The letters to, of Jesus to the churches? Here's the things that I like. Keep it up. Here's the things I don't like. Stop it. Repent. You don't have to go to a seminar. Just stop it. Because the days are evil. Redeem the time. Begin at home. And then in verse 18 of chapter 6, spirit-filled believers will be praying in accordance with the Holy Spirit. These 11 points are evidences of genuine Christians who are walking in Holy Spirit fullness. This is normal Christianity. These are commands to receive and act upon with faith obedience, which will stir up Holy Spirit fullness. These commands and the Word of God is the divine fuel for this life. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There is no way to have a Christian home. There's no way to have a true Christian church 
unless people are born again and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, well, by the grace of God, I'm receptive of this, but my spouse or someone else is not. So let me restate this. There is no way to have a Christian home unless there is one, at least one person residing in the home, so far as husband or wife, who is truly saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, but what if the other one refuses? What must I do? The days are evil. Redeem the time. Begin at home. In your own heart, rejoice in the new birth. Being born again is no less than a miracle of conversion from self and Satan and society to serving Christ. So we're to go down this road not because they are worthy. This person who is so difficult, maybe lost as a goose or whatever, uh, you're not doing it because you're so motivated by how wonderful they are. No. You're motivated by him. And he's always worthy. And the world is filled with people who've gone before us and who exist right now in this world who by themselves facing the opposition of family. Many in other countries, I read just recently, I don't remember who it was, but it was in another country. And this lady became a Christian. Served and followed the Lord as a real born-again Christian. Not perfectly, but being filled with the Spirit. Her husband tortured her, left her, and married someone else. I remember some of the brothers in India telling about one that got saved. This lady got saved, and so her family sent a message Would you please come for a visit? Seemed all pleasant and nice. So the husband put her on the train and she went across country to go visit her family. Seemed like a fine thing to do. They sent a letter back and said, you will never see your wife again unless you renounce Jesus Christ. She couldn't and they didn't. Redeem the time. The days are evil. Start at home. Start in your own life. Start in your own world. Spend time cultivating your walk with God. Do that most important thing of preaching the gospel to yourself over and over again, reminding yourself of who you are, what God did, who he is to you, and that your home is heaven. And that it is an honor to suffer for righteousness' sake. What profit is it, Peter would say, if we're buffeted about for our own faults? But when the buffeting comes because of just simply serving Jesus, you know what that is? That's redeeming the time. And by that we reveal Christ to a watching world 
And by such love, all the world will know that we are his children. Let's bow our heads and hearts for prayer. You may be here today in the Spirit of God and the Word of God brought about a question as to whether or not you're born again. Let the Word of God lead you. You may be here as a child of God and you say, by the grace of God I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. I'm not trusting being a Baptist. I'm not trusting religion. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. He paid my sin debt. In my hands, nothing I bring simply to the cross of Christ I cling. But Lord, I have been lax, I have been wayward, I have not been functioning as a soldier should. Uh, there is, there is, uh, this has been a wake-up call. The days are evil. It's time to be buying up Using the day, not something you hope will happen tomorrow, but using this day. This day is a day of opportunity to let Christ be seen. Father, work in each and every heart according to this leading of the Spirit in each life. We thank you for these scriptures that speak clearly to us. And we thank you for what you're going to, be, going to be doing in and through your children because of the heeding of these scriptures in our lives. We thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the drawing of the Holy Spirit, drawing someone to saving faith in Christ. We bless you and we give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.